As we look through the Bible, these past few weeks we've been looking through from Genesis, um, and we're going to you know, go clear through the Old Testament um, and moving into the New Testament to show that everything that the Bible talks about from the Old Testament onward is, is all about Jesus Christ. We've been uh, looking uh, for 12 weeks at this, 11 weeks at this, and we're, we're getting to the place last week we started looking at the life of Abraham. Before he was Abraham, his name was Abram, and we're looking at his life and talking about the things that, uh, that make him into a man of faith. And what we see is ultimately the reason why he's such a, uh, an important figure in, in the Bible is one for his faith, but also for what he shows us about Jesus, what he shows us about the faithfulness of God, what he shows us about teaching, uh, about learning to trust in God, right, to put our faith in him. So we saw last week that God had called him basically out of what was known as the New York City, the London, the Paris, the Tokyo of his time, out of Ur of the Chaldeans. God told him, leave all that stuff behind, this, this great culture, this great uh, riches, the technologically advanced society that you live in, and go into a place that I'll show you. So leave your family, leave all of that behind, and, and just, just start going. And so Abram left in faith. And what I propose to us is that that idea of leaving behind everything that you now know, everything that is, is, is good and right and perfect about your life, leave all that behind to follow the call of God in our lives is the call that every single one of us is going to have as we come to this crisis of faith. Will I follow Jesus? Will I follow God's call? Or will I remain in the world? And every single one of us who's ever followed Jesus Christ, who's put our faith in Christ, has cross that bridge we will cross that bridge continually and for different uh, different people it, it means different things it looks differently for abram and maybe for some of us it may mean leaving our country behind to go to another place to follow the call of god for others it will mean leaving family members who maybe they don't they don't they'll disown you if you put your trust in christ it, it looks different for different people. But for all of us, it means that we leave our life of sin, we leave our life of worldliness in order to follow the call of God wherever he may lead us. This is difficult. And what made Abram a man of faith was that he was willing to go. This week, uh, our, our daughter Manny, she was, um, I, I think she, Olivia, her mom, who usually puts her down to sleep at night, was away one night. And so Olive said to her, Manny, if you sleep well with uh, daddy or with grandma, then you'll get gum on the way to, uh, after school tomorrow. Gum is like the greatest thing in her life. And so she did a good job with that. And so the next morning she went to school talking about gum. And then when Olivia picked her up, she bought gum at Walgreens and was on her way home. She was so excited. So she got home and Olivia's parents, Manny and Elijah's grandparents are in town. And so uh, Manny's grandpa likes to mess around with her and likes to kind of tease her and, and, you know, all kinds of badger her. And so uh, he said to Manny, Give me your gum. And then he said, no. He said, give me your gum. She said, no. He said, give me your gum and I'll buy you a bike. She said, no. He said, oh, give me the gum and I'm going to buy you a new bike. And she said, no, no. The gum is better than the bike. Right? For her, it's, it's a very difficult thing to believe that what I've got in my hand, which is the greatest thing to me, could it really be that there's something better than that that I don't see right now? You see, for her, right, when we look at her, we say, well, that's a simple choice. But this is the crisis of faith that we have also. And we have all of these things, these treasures of this life, and God says, would you leave that in order to follow me? And again, we see that Abram does. 
And he leaves all that behind and what God promises him. Leave your family behind. I'm going to give you a family that's far greater. In fact, it's going to, it's going to uh, number, outnumber the stars in the, in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Leave that and I'm going to give you something so much better. Leave your people and I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a nation. I'm going to give you a country. I'm going to give you a legacy. And all people throughout the entire world are going to be blessed through you. And Abram believed and he followed God. So that was chapter 12. Chapter 13, a lot happens between now, then and where we're going to look today. But in chapter 13, we see a famine in the land. And so Abram rides out the famine going to Egypt. He survives in Egypt. And that, at that point in time, there's this Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he thinks that Moses' wife, Sarah, is good looking. Right? She's in her 70s, but Pharaoh thinks she's a babe. And so he says, I want to have her in my life. <laughs> and so Abram says, oh my goodness, you know what's going to happen? I'm going I'm to get in big trouble if he knows that you're my wife. So let's lie and tell him that you're my sister. And so he sells out his wife in order that she might spare his life. Crazy stuff. So Abram's a little bit strange like that, but he does that. Chapter 14, Abram and his nephew Lot, they've been hanging out together this whole time. Finally, they split up. Lot, we're going to see, is kind of a bad man. And so they split ways, they part ways. They say it's better for us that we go. Chapter 14, that happens. At the end of chapter 14, Lot gets kidnapped by some armies of, of other nations. Lot gets kidnapped, so Abram and his, his cronies go to war. They defeat the joint armies of four nations. They rescue Lot back. And after all this, Abram is just kind of chilling out, resting in the aftermath of victory of war. In Genesis chapter 15, this is where we're going to look. This is a highly significant chapter. I think two of the most important verses in the Old Testament. But I remember hearing uh, when I was in high school or when I was in college, I was at a youth retreat and uh, a preacher came and he preached. And he said, if I had to choose one verse, and if I had to choose one verse, and the rest of the Bible were to somehow be taken away from me. Just one verse then. He said, I would choose Genesis 15, 17. We're going to get there. You're going to read it. You'll be like, why in the world would he choose that verse? But as we explain it, hopefully it'll make sense. Genesis 15, verse 1. Here we go. After this, after what? After the war, all these things, rescuing Lot. After the war, battles. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars if indeed you can count them then he said to him so shall your offspring be abram believed the lord and he credited it to him as righteousness he also said to him i am the lord who brought you out of ur of the chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it but abram said oh sovereign lord how can i know that i will gain possession of it so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a pi young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. 
Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. They will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites, and Termites. This is God's word. Genesis 15, very important chapter in the Bible. What's happening here? In this passage, we see God encountering Abram two times. One comes at night, confirming the promise of a child. The second time he comes at sundown, confirming the promise of a land. And in the midst of all of this, Abram teaches us some very significant things about faith, about doubt, and about the trustworthiness of God. And I want to unpack these things for us. The first thing that Abram shows us that will lead us to put our hope in Christ, the first thing, though, is that doubt and unbelief are not the same. Okay, doubt is not the same as unbelief. Doubt is not the same as unbelief. So, in verse 1, God says, do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. What would Abram have to be afraid of? Why did God say he's a shield? A shield in those days, and a lot of times we think of a shield like a He-Man shield or a Thor shield that you put on your arm and it's just this little round circle. Shield in those days, what he's talking about is a full body from head to toe, right? Head to toe, I am your shield. I am your protection. Don't be afraid, Abram. This is what God is saying. Basically what he's saying, that anything that touches you, Abram, in order for anything to touch you, it will first go through the filtering shield of my love, my wisdom, my providential care over your life. If anything happens to you, Abram, it's only because I allowed it to happen. Right? So you can rest assured that nothing that happens to you is going to be outside of my good and sovereign will and plan for you because I am your shield. Therefore, don't be afraid. What did Abram have to be afraid of? Well, chapter 14 talks about this army that he had defeated, four armies. He might have feared their retaliation. Oh, man, this guy beat me, and so I'm going to go back and get him. But here's what he says, right? But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? What is Abram saying? Saying, this is what I'm afraid of. God, I'm 85 years old now. When you told me to leave my home, my family, my land, my possessions, my country, everything. I was 75 years old and you said you would give me a, a promised land, a promised seed. You would bless me. But after 10 years, I haven't seen any of it. And God, I know that you promised this. I know you said this. I know that you promised all of these things, but that's all it is right now. All it is is what you said. It's all words. God, where are the things that you've promised to me? And he wonders if he's left all that behind in vain. Was it worth it for me to leave all that stuff behind? Because 10 years have passed. My wife, Sarah, is old as dirt. I am older than her, so I'm older than dirt, dirt. <laughs> I'm old. 
and you've promised all these things. Have you moved on to somebody else? Did I do something wrong? Have you forgotten about me? Has the plan been bypassed? Have you moved on to plan B or C? Am I no longer in your plan? That's what he's saying. I got all I have is a bunch of promises, but nothing has come to fruition. And so Abram's afraid. And so he begins to doubt the promise of God. See, when we talk about this idea of doubt, there are two things that Abram doubts. And I, I, I propose to us that there are two things that you and I doubt also. Verse 2, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me? The first thing that he's doubting, he's doubting God. What can you give me? God, can you really do this? And then in verse 8, but Abraham said, Oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? What's it? The promise. And how can I know that I can do this? Abram doubts God and he doubts himself. And the categories of doubt for all of us come in these two areas as well. We doubt God and we doubt ourselves. God, can you really do this? God, I know that you've promised these things to me. I know that you promised that you want to save people, but I, I, I'm not seeing it. It's been 10 years, and I'm still waiting for the fulfillment of this promise for the salvation of my loved one, my mom or my grandma, my friend, my, my spouse, whoever it might be. I'm still waiting. God, can you still do it? God, can you still change my school? I've been praying for my friends. I've been praying for the people in my school for all these years. Can you, can you do it? Can you still do it? Can you still provide according to the promises that you gave to me? God, a long time ago, you gave me dreams that you were going to fulfill all of these things. But is that still in operation? Do you still answer the prayers of your people? God, do you st- are you still able to do this? Our doubt usually falls in these two categories. One, God, can you still do this? We doubt God. We doubt his faithfulness. We doubt his ability to do it right. But the second category, we also doubt ourselves, don't we? Are you sure that? I can do this, and I'm not sure that I can do it. Told me to take a step of faith, but I'm not sure that I can. You told me to, to go and to serve you in this way, but I'm not sure if I, if I can do it. You sure you've called the right person to do it? Maybe there's someone better. Maybe there's someone more called, more equipped. I know you told me to take a step of faith with my finances, told me to take a step of faith with this job, to take a step of faith in, 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 in this decision that I'm making, and but I don't know if I have the faith to do it. I don't know if I can do it. I, I feel like I'm going to let you down. I was talking with someone this week, and that's what they were saying is they felt like, you know what? I, I don't know if I can keep up my end of the bargain. I'm disappointed in myself. I keep on disappointing myself, and I don't have faith that I can do it. And other people talk about how they feel like God has let them down. I don't think, I don't think God's pulling through for me. What's going on? You ever doubt like this? You ever wonder if God can really fulfill the promise that he made to you through scripture? You really feel that you can do what God is calling you to do. To move out into that destiny, to move out into that call, to move out into that future that God has. If you ever have doubts like that, because Abram did. And I think one of the beautiful things that Abram's life teaches us is that doubt is not the same thing as unbelief. What does that mean? Let me explain. Romans chapter 4, verse 20, it says, Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. Abraham definitely doubted, but it says he did not waver through unbelief. What's the difference? 
There's a one pastor in, in Seattle, Mark Driscoll, he gives a really helpful way of understanding it. But basically, we think of unbelief. We say this is an unwillingness to believe what God said. I know that God said it, but I'm not going to believe it. Basically, we're calling God a liar. I know you said this, but um, I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to believe it. God, you're lying. Where doubt says, I want to believe it, but I'm having a difficult time believing this. You see, there, there's a difference between one saying, I will not believe it versus I cannot believe it. I will not believe it and I won't believe it no matter what versus I cannot believe it, but I want to. I want to believe it. Abram is wrestling with this. Oh, sovereign Lord. And, and he uses this word sovereign as a way of saying, God, I believe that you are sovereign. You are the king. I'm not, but I'm having a difficult time. I'm wrestling with this right now. Can it really be possible? Is it really true? Is it really possible that you're able to do these things in my life? And so God says to him, well, before we, before we get to that place, I, I think one of the things that we have to understand is that when people in, in the Old Testament, particularly, as well as the New Testament, particularly in the Old Testament, when they lack faith, when they, when they have this idea, this, this sense of unbelieving, an unbelieving spirit, uh, when God relates to them, he always gets angry at them, right, because their hearts have been hardened. And he deals with them in, in, in anger. He deals with them in um, with the sense that, you know, you have to get up to speed with me. But when, when, when he, it relates to, he relates to people with doubt. When people are doubting. They want to know. They want to, they're struggling with their faith, but there's issues of doubt. The way that God relates to them is with gentleness, with patience, with love, with kindness. And this is exactly how he deals with Abram. And this is how he deals with us when we doubt. And so the second thing that we're going to see here is bringing our doubt before God it is an act of faith. Okay, bringing our doubt before God, that in and of itself is an act of faith. To even verbalize our doubts. Look at what God, so Abram says, how can I do this? Right now, the heir is going to be Eliezer of Damascus. So in those days, if you didn't have a son to be your heir, you could adopt someone. And, and right now, his, the heir was a, a servant, was a slave. And so he's saying, this is, this is a deal. God's word comes to him and says, the man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body. So he says, let's take a walk. Come outside with me. Uh, verse five, he took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. So God's dealing with Abram's doubt by saying, I want to affirm. I want to build up. I want to develop faith in you, and the only way that can happen is if we bring our doubts before God. The only way that's going to happen is if we bring our doubts before God, because in the expression of our doubt, right, we're believing that God exists. We're believing that God is actually there. He's actually there to listen to the doubts that we have. I remember when I was in, in high school, I was in either 10th or 11th grade. I was taking an AP chemistry class, and it was rocking my world. Um, I was getting uh, C's and on my uh, interim report, got a C on my report card. So I went to my teacher and I said, I think I'm going to, actually I went to my counselor because I was a little bit scared of my teacher. So I went to my counselor and I said, Miss Faye, I want to drop out of AP Chem. And she said, okay, well, let's have a meeting with Miss Lavallee. She's a teacher. And I said, oh, I don't think I want to do that. I'll, I'll just go ahead and drop the class. She's like, no, we, we need to hear what Miss Lavallee has to say. So brought in the teacher and um, I, she said, okay, so tell her what you want to say. I said, I, I want to drop out of the class. Because I'm not doing well in it, I'm getting bad grades, and I've never struggled this much in a class before. And she said, okay, but before you do that, why don't you come 
early every morning before school and bring your book and bring your homework problems and I'll work them through with you. And if you still don't get it, then stay late after school every day and I'll work with you and, and because I want to get you up to speed. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. But I said, okay, um, I'll do that. And I had, I had to do it. And so I went in early every morning and she helped me get up to speed. I went in late. I stayed in late after school in order to get caught up to speed. And I, I, I didn't quite understand everything, but I ended up getting like a B in the class. And the old, the, the old, I think the lesson here that I had to understand was that she wanted to help me, but I needed to be willing to move to her and say, I need help. At the, at the very heart of what Abram's doing, he's saying, God, I'm, I, I want to believe. I want to believe in the promise that you've given to me, but I'm struggling with it. I, I want to believe this stuff because I've left everything behind in order to take ownership, to take possession of this promise, but I'm struggling with it. Can you help me? Because God, I need, I'm so, I, I need you. And every desire of God's heart was that he could develop Abram's faith in order that he might take possession of the land that God was giving him, in order that he might, be the, he might live in fulfillment of the promise that God had given to him 10 years earlier. But what needed to happen was that Abram needed to bring his doubts before God. See, a lot of times we think, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ. I shouldn't be having these doubts. I shouldn't be having these questions, right? I shouldn't be feeling the way that I feel. We begin to beat ourselves up and say, I can't have these doubts. I can't have these doubts. I can't have these doubts. If you remember what, what Tim Keller said in his book, The Reason for God, he said, faith requires doubt. Right? In order for a faith to be strong, doubt is a crucial component of it. He says faith, in order for faith to be strong, Doubt's role in the life of faith is the, same role, uh, is the same thing as antibodies have to a body. Antibodies are, are, are sicknesses, are illnesses, but that's what boosts our immunity to make us ultimately healthy. Saying doubts are necessary in order for our faith to be made stronger. And so long as we don't ignore these things, so long as we move towards God with these doubts. Because every time we move to God with our doubt, God desires to build our faith, to strengthen our faith in order to help us to live in the promise that he has for us. In order for us to not drop out of that class, we need to move towards God and say, God, I need you. And this is what Abram was doing. And God says, okay, come here, let's take a walk. Enter into the classroom of God. Look up at the heavens and count the stars. So here's Abram. He's like, well, okay. <laughs> he starts counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, I counted that one already. Let's start over again. One, two, three, four. He's like, what's the point? God's like, you can't count them, can you? So I, I, was, I texted Kenny earlier this week, and I said, how many stars are there in the universe? And he said, you can't count them. <laughs> I said, well, g- give me an estimate. And then he, he said he read this article, and he said, well, the estimates are like there's some, 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 like septillion. I'm like, what does that even mean? And, and he said, at the end of the article, they said, this is what the article said, we, we don't know. So you could add a bunch of zeros to the end of that number. Right, well, and here's what God is saying. Right? Try and count them. You can't count them. Saying, so shall your offspring be. And so Abram is looking out at the stars, looking up into the heavens, into the night sky that he knew was created by God, that God spread out the heavens and threw the stars up there. He said, if God is able to do that out of nothing, then he can bring a child out of nothing. 
And it says, Abram, believe God, verse 6. Believe God, and he credited it to him as righteousness. For the first time in the Bible, we see this idea that we are justified, not by our works, but by our faith in the promise of God. And Abram believes, and all of a sudden, he's got this jolt of faith within him. You know, I, I think it's, it's not uncommon for Christians to have doubts. Like, I would be worried if we didn't have doubts. I'd be worried if we had unbelief, but I'd also be worried if we didn't have doubts. Because aren't there moments in our lives where we doubt the promises of God? In the life of faith, every single one of us will come to a place Ten years ago, Abram was given this promise. And through it all, he's, he's going through all of this activity, all this, and then he comes to this place where he's all alone. He's all alone, and he has this encounter with God. With God, is this, is this really still true in my life? We see this with, with Jacob. Right? When Jacob is about to cross the fort at Jabbok, he sends everyone, and he's left alone, and he encounters God, and he wrestles with God. It's a wrestling for faith, a wrestling for blessing. See, at a certain point, as we grow older, we begin to realize, hey, you know what? This faith has been given to me by my church, by my family. And there's a point in time where we need to wrestle with God and say, is this faith really what I believe it to be? It's, it's, it's in that wrestling with doubt and faith that faith becomes personal, where it becomes real, where it becomes not my mom and dad's faith, not my grandparents' faith, not the faith of my culture, but this becomes my own faith. And when we bring these doubts to God, his desire is that he could strengthen us, that he could build muscle in us, that he could encourage us because he's got something that he wants to do in and through us in the future. And there have been many times in my life, even to this day, that I I struggle with doubt. Now, I'll be be honest, when I was uh, in college wrestling with my future, wrestling with my call to what God wanted me to do, there's all these people around me, pastors, and I, I came from a, a large church, and so I had many, many pastors, and, uh, and, and a lot of them were who'd known me since I was a kid, telling me that God's calling you into ministry, but I didn't want to, I don't want to embrace that call. But God, I need to be certain for myself. I don't want to hear from other people. I want to hear from you. And I wrestled for a long time, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I fasted, and I prayed for two hours, three hours a day for, for a year and two years, just wrestling, God, what do you want me to do? And really wanting to know that this is what God wanted me to do. Because I believed with all of my heart that if God guides, then he's going to provide. That's how I'll know that this is where you're calling me to be. And after I got this sense that God was calling to ministry, I kept on saying, God, are you sure? I, I don't know. I don't know that I have the right personality. I don't know if I have the right skills. I don't know if I have the right gifts. I don't know if this is for me. And I have a desire. I just want to love you. That's what I want to do. But I could do that in a lot of different ways. So in the midst of these doubts, God began affirming me. I started ministry right after college. I was doing campus ministry uh, right after I graduated, and I had to raise support. Um, I had to raise, at the time, it was, it was not much. It was probably about $15,000 a year that I needed to raise. And I was a college student. Most of my friends were either in college or right out of college. And, and so I remember sending out letters saying, hey, this is what I'm doing, and this is what I need. And people began sending me support, and and I felt like in those moments, God was building my faith. But it got time for me to start where I needed to 
start paying for things, for rent and for bills. And I remember feeling like, God, I don't have enough for me to actually start. I'm not sure what's, uh, you know, what you're leading me through, but um, I feel like you've called me to this, but I'm not sure now. And I remember as I brought these doubts before God, there's a professor at the university that I was at. He said, uh, hey, David, I heard about what you're doing, and um, I want to support what you're doing because I believe in you, and I believe in your ministry, and I believe in the God, call that God has in your life. And, and he said, tell me, um, you know, what is it that you need right now? And I said, well, I'm waiting to hear from a couple of churches. But and he stopped me, and he said, after you hear from them, right, whatever you need, whatever you've got versus whatever you need, tell me what that is, and I'll, I'll, just, I'll, just, I'll, I'll supply that for you. And so a couple of weeks later, got in the mail this check for this massive amount, which was more than I'd ever seen in my life. And I felt like God was saying, hey, I'm with you in this. Just go. Right? Believe. Trust. Don't doubt. Go for it. And during that year, you know, there were times when bills came up and I didn't know if I had enough uh, to pay for it. I'd go check the mail that day. And in the mail, there'd be a note from an alum two years graduated three years ago. I've been meaning to send this, but for some reason, I just never got around to it. And it was like $10 more than the amount that I needed to pay for my bills. I felt like in those moments, God was saying, you can trust me in this. You can take a step of faith because I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to let you down. And as I, was, I spent time working and doing college ministry out of a church in, in Northern Virginia, and I was planning to, uh, to go to seminary up in, in, in Boston, there's a, a good financial package, a scholarship that would only have me paying for housing. Great deal, I thought. And then all of a sudden, I, I got redirected down here to, to RTS and started thinking about that. But I said, God, I don't know if I, I, don't know if I, I can leave that financial package behind. This is really great. And just through affirmation, through confirmation from other people, I applied and ended up there. They had this program at the seminary. My seminary paid a third of my tuition. Our church here paid a third of my tuition, and a church in Virginia paid two-thirds of my tuition. So basically, I had one-third of my tuition that they were paying me to study. And I just felt like God was saying, hey, I'm with you in this. Just keep on going. Keep on going. Where I guide, I will provide. Don't worry. Don't fear. Every time I brought these doubts before God, God would provide the needs that I had in order to confirm that I'm with you in this. I keep on going. I believe that from when I was 21 years old, 22 years old, God was bringing me to these tests and these crises of faith in order that he might remind me now when I'm 30-some years old that I'm still with you in this. That the God who provided when you were in college, the God who provided when you were doing ministry, the God who provided in seminary through uh, unbelievable ways is a God who's going to continue to provide for you. Now, even when you doubt, I'll continue to provide for you. I doubt, my, I doubt myself all the time. The God, am I the right way? I, I said on many occasions as I was praying to God, I said, God, I don't want to, I know my gifts, I know myself. I don't want to be a, in a lead position at a church. I love teaching. I, I, I love being in, in, in opportunities to communicate the truth, but I don't think my skill set is in, in these places. He said, thank you very much. I'm going to take you, and here you go. Your next call is going to, you're going to lead harvest. And every step of the way, God is just building my faith. To say it's going to be all right. It's not just in finances. It's in, it's in the other doubts. Sometimes I doubt, you know what, is, is God going to answer these prayers? And just, I'm trying to be honest with you to let you know that it's okay. 
God can handle our doubts. He's big enough to handle it. He's not shaking by, oh, my goodness, this, this little pastor of this little area in this little corner of the world is, is, is doubting me. No, he's saying, bring those to me. Bring those to me. Bring your doubts about your ability to raise your family. Bring your doubts about your ability to move into the future. Bring your doubts about your ability to, to do this ministry. Bring your doubts about, about me, about you. Sometimes I, you know, this past summer I was, I was, I had questions, right? God, is revival really possible? I, I talk about this. I pray about this. I dream about it. I preach about it in different places, but is it really possible? Can the gospel really change lives still? I wonder that sometimes. And through this summer, God took me from one place to another to show me the power of the gospel and how lives are being changed in this small Asian-American church on the east side of Orlando. In this group of people just fired up in, in, in the Midwest, college students and young people who are willing to lay down their lives to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. In youth like ours who went to in the South Atlantic part of the United States and college students up and down the East Coast seaboard. In Ecuador, the gospel is going forth and God's saying, you bring your doubts to me. I'm going to, I'm going to meet you. I'm going to strengthen your faith because that's what I do. I'm not afraid of your doubts. You have doubts. You have doubts, don't you? If you're anything like me, you have doubts. But God's not afraid of them. Just bring those to me because every desire of God's heart, not that we drop out because we don't go to him, but it's us saying, I need help. I want to get it. I want to get it. I want to believe, but I need you to help me. And God's heart is to work extra hours in order for him to help us get to the place where we can fulfill our God-given call. Second thing, last thing, then, last thing that we see. The more we learn to trust God, the more we learn that we can trust God. What's about to happen, something really weird. In the story, not me, not, not up here, but in this passage. So Abram believed the Lord, and then God says to him, you know what? Not only am I going to fulfill my promise of a child, I'm going to fulfill my promise of a land. Abram says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know? Verse 9. The Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. So Abram's like, God, well, thanks for the promise about a family. But I'm not sure if you can give me the land. And God's like, all right, let's build a zoo. Bring me these animals. So Abram's like, what the what? A heifer, a goat, a ram, three years old. That means they're fully grown. So at, at this point in time, Abram's got this choice. Am I going to follow God? I, I got to go look for these animals somewhere. I got to go look for them. It's not like Noah's Ark. They're all in a boat. No, I got to go find them. It's specific. Three years old. How old are you? Two, not, can't have you. How old are you? So he gets these animals and he brings. In that moment, he's got this, again, this issue of faith. Are you going to take a step of faith and believe what God says or are you not? I, um, Olive and I were trying to watch a movie. We had DVR'd a movie called We Bought a Zoo. Um, but when we went to play it, it says for some reason we don't have that channel, so we couldn't watch it. But I saw a clip of it. I don't know if you've seen this movie. Anyone seen We Bought a Zoo? Oh, good. A lot of us. It's in this movie. Matt, is it Matt Damon? What's the guy's name? Matt Damon. Plays this guy who buys a zoo. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He plays this guy. Uh, he's a father of, I think, a couple kids. And uh, he's just lost his wife. He's a widower. 
and he's trying to raise his kids. And that's a kind of sub story. The other story is about a zoo that he, he bought. He's trying to build his relationship with his son, especially. He doesn't have the best relationship with him. And, and his son um, has this falling out with this girl who's got a major crush on him. Her name is Lily. And so he, they're sitting down against this wall. And Matt Damon says to his son, he's like, so what happened to Lily? He's like, I don't know. I, you know, I, was, I didn't listen to something that she said, and she got mad at me or something like that. And then he, his son says, um, it's like if I, if I say something, I, it's like I embarrass myself if I say something. I embarrass myself if I don't say something. And that this, Matt Damon has this, like, this, this great um, moment, this great line. He says, you know what? In all of our lives, sometimes all it takes is 20 seconds of insane courage. 20 seconds of just irrational bravery. Just take a step of just crazy courage. Says, I promise you that something great is going to come out of it. That moment as God is talking to him. He's got this 20-second moment. I'm going to believe God and go get these animals. Or am I not? You know, all of our lives, a lot of times that's what it takes, isn't it? Maybe some of, I don't, I don't know if some of y'all have this story. Like you men see this woman walking down the street. Like, oh my gosh, she's beautiful. Should I or should I not? Should I? Should I? 20 seconds. You go to her, you say, hey, my name is Slim Shay. I'm just kidding. My name is whatever it is. Get her phone number. And then 20 years later, you say, now she's my wife. 20 seconds of insane courage that changes everything. Or this moment where... You're in a room full of people and this invitation is given. Do you want to give your life to Christ? And you've got this moment where all your friends are non-believers. And you're like, I don't want to do it. But in this 20-second window of insane courage, you take a step forward and something great has come out of it. In all of our lives, there are constant moments where we've got this window where we take a step of faith. We take a step of faith. We take a step of faith because great things can happen. And so Abram does. And then immediately... Abram knows what God is doing. So the Lord said to him, verse 9, verse 10, Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. So basically what he's doing, he's slicing these animals in half. One side goes on this side. The other side goes on that side. Right? does that three different animals so that a walkway is created. And immediately Abram knows what's going on because this is what they did in the ancient Near East when a covenant, an agreement, a contract was being made. So when a king would conquer another land and this other king gets defeated, he says, you know what? I need to be in covenant with you so that I don't get destroyed. Here's what they would do. They would take animals. They would cut them in half, lay them out, fillet them like this. And then one by one, they would walk through and they would say, I pledge allegiance to you. And if I break the covenant, if I break the contract, then let what has been done to these animals be done to me. We do this on the playground growing up, don't we? Hey, you know what? Oh, I, I, I want that Star Wars action figure. Can you give it to me? Like, no, I don't want to give it to you. This was a birthday present. Give it to me and I'll be your best friend. No, you won't. Yes, I will. No, I won't. Yes, I will. Be your best friend forever and ever. Promise? I promise. No, you won't. Yes, I Cross my heart. Hope to die. Stick a million needles in my eye. What does that mean? That means I promise that I will do it. But if I don't, then you can put a million needles in my eye. Basically what they're saying, 
If I'm lying, then I'm dying. If I'm unfaithful, let what happened to these animals happen to me. And so Abram is like, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? Because I said, God, I doubt you. I doubt my ability to take the land. But now you're going to make me walk through this in order that I might be filleted open if I'm not faithful. You know, when we're questioning our ability to do something right, we don't need to be motivated by the threat of punishment. And how many of us are like that? Oh, you know what? I, I don't want to mess up again. And someone says, hey, if you mess up, uh, I'm going to beat you up. But that's, not good. that's not proper motivation. So Abram is scared. And so we go on. Abram brought all these, cut them in two, arranged them the way that he said. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away as the sun was setting. Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then God starts talking. Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. He's talking about Israel, the people that would come from Abram. They're going to be strangers in a land not their own. They will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I'll punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they'll come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. What does that mean? The Amorites are the people that are in the promised land right now, along with nine other groups of people. They're in the promised land right now, and God is saying after 400 years, you guys will finally receive the land that I promised to you. Why 400 years? Because I'm waiting. I'm not going to just call you to be mercenaries and wipe out these people, but when their sin gets so bad, that's when you're going to drive them out of the land. In the same way that he was patient with the people in Noah's time, the same way he's patient now, he said, I'm being patient with the Amorites so that when their sin reaches full measure, then in 400 years you come and drive them out. And so God gives Abram this history lesson. And then in verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. What's happening here? The Israelites who are reading this, the ones who wandered through the wilderness, who understood how they were led in the wilderness by a cloud of fire, by a cloud of smoke and a pillar of fire, knew that a smoking firepot and a blazing torch was none other than God himself. So here is the animals are laid open. Verse 17 says, God walks through the pieces. This is what he's saying to Abram. He says, you doubt me. You doubt if I can really do this for you. Then here's what I'm promising. That if I'm not faithful to you, Abram, then let what happened to these animals happen to me. If I'm not faithful to you, then it's my life on the line. I will be filleted open like this. In other words, I'll be faithful to the point of death. You don't have to worry about me. You doubt me, don't worry. Everything's going to be under control. I promise you with my life that I will be faithful. Shocking thing is that verse 18 does not say, then Abram walked through the pieces. Why? God is saying, Abram, look, you doubted me, and I'm saying that I will take full responsibility for myself. 
you doubt yourself that you can do it right. But I'm not making you walk through the pieces because I'm the one who walked through for you. You doubt yourself, you don't have to worry. I'll uphold you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to make sure that you don't fail. And if you do, then my life is on the line and I will take the fall for you. How does this even happen? Abram is going to fail just like the Amorites will. The Amorites are judged. What about judgment on Abram? We can only understand this. If we fast forward into the New Testament, another momentous occasion, the Bible tells us that darkness fell over the face of the earth. And on the cross, Jesus Christ was filleted, was sliced, was cut, was killed, was crucified for the failures of Abram and every other person before and after him. He says, you doubt yourself? I'll take care of it. Don't worry. You don't have to doubt yourself. You don't think you can do it? I can do it through you. You don't think you can do it? It's on me. I promised, and I'll be faithful. You doubted me, then I'll take care of it. You doubt yourself, I'll take care of that. Because you will fail, you will mess up, but don't worry. The punishment has been taken by another. You don't have to worry. You think God will forget you? Yesterday, in the morning, Olivia was going out to Publix, and Manny wanted to go, but Olive was getting stuff ready. And Manny was playing, drawing something, and she said to Mom, Mom, make sure you tell me before you go. I don't want you to forget me. I want you to forget me. And I said to Manny as I was sitting across from her, that Manny, you cost way too much for us to forget you. We're not going to forget you. She's not going to forget you. Says, you think I've forgotten you? God says, I paid way too much. You cost way too much. You cost my son. I'm not going to forget you. And I'll be faithful to the point of death. Let's pray. So we um, respond to God's word. We take a moment just to, to bring our doubts before the Lord. Whatever our doubts may be, whatever those doubts might be, worried about your future, worried about your family, worried about the things that are out of your hands. God's going to be faithful. He's not going to let you down. He's not going to forget you. He paid the price of his son so that you could be his. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to orphan you. He's not going to leave you. God will always be faithful. Always love recalling conversations with elderly believers of Christ. You ask a young person, what have you learned? What's the most important thing you learned about 
God, about life, about you, about faith. A lot of times they talk about, let's dream big. We can do it. We got to pray. We got one life to live. You ask elderly people, what do you know? What can you tell me? What lessons about God, faith, life, Bible can you share? So many times they look back on their lives and they say one thing. God is faithful. Through the ups and downs of my life, God is faithful. When I've been faithful and I've been faithless, God is faithful. When I doubted, when I worried, when I was concerned, God was faithful. When things were going great, when I was living on the mountaintop, God was faithful. When things were going poorly, when I had nothing in the cupboard, I had no money to my name, God was faithful. God will always be faithful. He will always be faithful to his people of his promise. Everything in this life is good, but God, our God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never fail. Never fail you. He will never fail his people. Let's bring our doubts before the Lord God today. It's okay. God wants to strengthen our faith. wants to build our faith. Like Abram, we can point others to Jesus as well. So let's pray hearts before the Lord God. Just be honest with him. He knows it anyways. Just like Miss LaValle knew that I was getting to see. But we need to bring it before him. Say, God, I need you. And trade our doubts for renewed faith in him. Let's pray together. Jesus, we need you. that none can deny for a faithfulness that's firm through the fiercest drought and storm for a faithfulness that's never failed and it's not about to start for a faithfulness that surpasses even life and death itself thank you that you are faithful that you remember your children you remember your people. You remember your promise. To your children, the object of your undying allegiance and affection. Grounded by that faithfulness, teach us to be faithful. And we might live for you. Thank you. We love you. We need you. Meet us where we are, in our faith as well as in our doubt, in order that you might become great through us and that we might take steps of faith in order that you might do great work in us as well. We thank you so much. Thank you so much. We trust you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray.